Well, last week we finished our discussion of Noah in Genesis chapter 9. And today we're going to jump forward over chapter 10 of Genesis to our text in chapter 11. Uh, Chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis serve to sort of trace the connection from Noah and especially his son Shem to Abraham. And so from here on out in, in Genesis, our focus is going to be almost entirely upon Abraham and his kids, his grandkids, and his great-grandkids. While the first 11 chapters of Genesis cover an incredibly vast period of time, thousands of years, the last 39 or so chapters will will slow things down considerably. We're going to look at one particular family, the descendants of Shem, through whom God would would bring forward his plan of redemption and salvation. But before we get there in the coming weeks, we have one more stop on this roadmap of sort of the primeval section, the early section of the book of Genesis. If you've been following along, I've gone to great lengths to point out that Genesis chapters 3 and following place a strong emphasis, bold letters, on the effects of sin. That really has been perhaps the prevailing theme since the fall in the garden. The countless ways that sin has corrupted and and is wreaking havoc on God's creation. And and of course, one of the most clear and maybe obvious results of sin is that humanity has abandoned its created purpose to worship the one true God. And instead of living for the glory of our creator, we live our lives for our own glory. We worship ourselves. Well, today's sermon text takes us to an area that is located in modern-day Iraq. Many historians believe that the setting of our account today was about 80 miles south of the modern city of Baghdad, in the region known as Mesopotamia, near the Euphrates River. It's also an area that would later become known as Babylon. In fact, about a half mile from the area that's popularly attributed to the location of our text today is the famous Ishtar Gate, which was constructed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And what we see in this account is the sort of the, the quintessential expression of sinful humanity. And we might summarize it like this. That human beings defy God's commands and attempt to glorify themselves. Human beings defy God's commands and attempt to glorify themselves. That sort of summarizes the human experience. From Genesis chapter 11, I'll be starting in verse 1. This is God's word to us. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan 
to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because from there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. God of all creation and God of our lives, we pray that you would speak through your word today. We are glory seekers like those in Babel. And so we need your word to convict us, to lead us to the cross. Uh, So speak today and help us to listen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Noah's descendants uh, spread throughout at least the known world. And one group of them ended up in Mesopotamia. I think that sometimes we might think of the Tower of Babel as we remember it, occurring immediately after the flood. All the people are still gathered fairly close. And from that place, then, we conceptualize that God scatters everybody out from that place. But of course, that's not how Genesis 11 presents it. The people were migrating spreading out as God had instructed them. But then what, uh, what they did was what all human beings tend to do, or what we're drawn to do. They found a comfortable place. They stopped. They started to put down roots. And that in and of itself was not bad. Verse 1 clarifies for us that there was, there was only one language at this point. And of course, we aren't terribly far removed from Noah and his family. And so this makes sense. The families of Noah's three sons all spoke the same language. And as they migrated outward, they took that language with them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this language component today. There's a lot of discussion about this. You've likely heard a lot about this. This is one of those aspects of the story that people get hyper-focused on the confusing of the languages, but it can actually be a distraction from the main idea that's being conveyed in the text. And so I want to turn our attention to what I think is the, the central emphasis of the Babel account. And I want to organize our time around two directional statements, two directional statements that we see in our text. Mankind building upward, and God coming down. First, we see mankind build upward, reach for the heavens to become like God. Verse 4, it says uh, that the people say to themselves, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. There's a critical part of this account that you might not notice if you zoom in too closely, just specifically on our text for today. And that's, that's the fact that this is actually a parallel account to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, there are, there are four rivers mentioned early in Genesis in relation to the Garden of Eden. The locations of the first two rivers are unknown. They're either just symbolic or they're lost to history. But the last two rivers that are mentioned are the Tigris and the Euphrates, which you might remember from world history class. 
as being the two rivers that make up the region known as Mesopotamia. Sometimes you hear it referred to as the Fertile Crescent. And think about the similarity between these two accounts. Mankind seeking to establish themselves independently from God, trying to make a name for themselves apart from the purpose and the command of God. And and what is the result of both attempts? What happens as a result of what they do? Disaster, right? In the situation of Babel, being scattered, languages confused, being expelled. These are themes that we might remember from the Garden of Eden. Being sent away, being expelled. The inhabitants of Babel were going to build a tower for themselves that reaches to the heavens and make a name for themselves. And, and, and that is the exact opposite of God's purpose for creation. Human beings were created for the glory of their creator, not for their own independent glory. We've all seen this drama play out in our own homes. Most of us at one time or another threatened to run away from home when we were mad at our parents. We know as adults how absurd that is. Most of us would have been leaving a relatively good life for something far worse had we followed through on our threats. And that's exactly what happens when we build our towers, attempting to reach the heavens on our own, attempting to make a name for ourselves, independent from the Lord, when the whole reason that we are here, the whole purpose for our existence is to make famous the name of our Creator. Scripture teaches that God created us for His glory, for His purposes. There's a little bit of a play on words that happens in this early part of of Genesis. Think back to the creation account. Think about naming that we see in the first couple chapters of Genesis. There's, There's an interesting emphasis that Scripture places on the naming of things. God names Adam. Adam then names Eve. God brings all of the animals to Adam for him to place a name upon them. The Genesis account points out that Eve names her first son. And and on and on we see this in the early part of Genesis. This is the the, the deeply, well, we see see something different though in our text for today. Uh, Humanity now in in their pride, in their rebellion, uh, set out to make a name for themselves. The ritual had been, the tradition had been, that a name is placed upon you. And so we see this sort of play on words that happens in our text, where instead of allowing a name to be placed upon them, they set out to make a name for themselves. And this is the the urge that exists within all human beings. We want glory. We want to take for ourselves that which belongs to God, And the truth is that we all have our own towers of Babel. We all have areas in our lives that that we have set off to make a name for ourselves. Every single tower that we build, be it a tower of self-righteousness and morality, a tower of wealth, a tower of idolatry, at the end of the day, they're all proven foolish Because they're all attempts to earn 
what God gives freely. There's a statement of great irony. I don't know if you heard it when we read through the text, but a statement of great irony in verse 5 of our text. Listen to what verse 5 says. It says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. These prideful and arrogant people thought they were doing something really special. Building a tower that reaches to the heavens. But God sort of mocks them in verse 5 by making sure to include the fact that he couldn't even see their tower from heaven. He had to come down in order to inspect what they were doing. Of course, it's all figurative. It's all ironic language. God sees all things and knows all things. God doesn't have to leave heaven to see anything. Unless, of course, he's wanting to prove a point about how minuscule and pathetic even our best human attempts at glory really are. We see mankind reach for the heavens to try to become like God. And God comes down to survey their work. And and that brings us to our second point, which is this, that we also see God come down to scatter prideful humanity. Verse 6, the Lord said, as if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, and don't miss the the reference to the, the triune God, the Trinity, buried in there. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. You know, an overly simplistic reading of verse 6 makes it seem like God is afraid that if he doesn't confound humanity, that they will be all-powerful, that they will accomplish anything they desire. But, but that, like I said, it's a little too simplistic of a reading. God is not concerned about the capability of mankind to do literally anything, to threaten his authority or his sovereignty. But instead, God recognizes that if left unchecked, if he doesn't intervene, the the prideful glory-seeking will have no end. The people will bring absolute ruin if there are not obstacles in their way. God coming down is at the very same time both judgment and mercy. I want you to think about this. God coming down in our text is at the very same time both judgment and mercy. We often hear the story of Babel presented as if God's scattering and confounding of the languages is only judgment. Only God punishing the people. But I want you to think about it a little bit differently today. God comes down with his divine wrecking ball and and ruins their attempts at making a name for themselves. They were seeking glory, and God sort of pulls the rug out from underneath them. They were looking for their own way to heaven, and God derails their plans. And here's what I want you to see today. Sometimes the most gracious, the most loving thing that God can do is destroy our attempts at making a name for ourselves. Sometimes the most gracious and loving thing that God can do is to destroy our attempts 
at making a name for ourselves. We're never going to understand it in the moment. We're never going to see it as gracious or as loving when God comes down and destroys our attempts to make a name for ourselves, when our best laid plans are upended. But the truth remains that when God intervenes and God destroys our plans to make a name for ourselves, to establish ourselves apart from him, that those are gracious and loving acts, not merely acts of judgment and punishment. Our sin deceives us into thinking that we are self-sufficient, that we can accomplish what we need on our own, that we can go our own way, do our own thing, and end up just fine. But God, in his mercy, doesn't allow us to live in that delusion. God comes down to us. It's often through his powerful law. His law that lays bare our feeble attempts at saving ourselves. He demolishes our towers. And in the moment, it might seem like God is cruel. I think we've all experienced those times when life is upended and and it feels like, it seems like to our senses it appears like God is, is cruel. But in hindsight, with eyes of faith, we see that he was actually He was actually cutting away like a surgeon, acting to save us, not to harm us. And of course, in this season of Advent, we talk about another time that God came down. And during his ministry on earth, Jesus destroyed many towers. He destroyed the the tower of the rich young ruler. Remember the man who, who said that he wanted eternal life? And Jesus said, okay, great, sell everything you have. Give your money to the poor and then come follow me. Jesus destroyed his tower. Jesus destroyed the tower of the judgmental religious people when he allowed the sinful woman to to anoint him. They were priding themselves on their purity, on their cleanliness, on keeping their distance from sinful people. And Jesus allows this woman to touch him. Jesus destroys the towers of the people at the temple who were putting in their large gifts into the coffers when when he said that the the poor widow who put her last two pennies in actually had given more. See, this is what Jesus does. We think that we can make a name for ourselves, and Jesus says that the only way we can actually have any hope that lasts beyond this life is through repentance. Think about that. Repentance is saying, I have nothing to offer, nothing to give, no good within me. Repentance is turning away from the ways of this world, from what this world has to offer and embracing that which God gives freely that can never be earned. You see, that for which our soul is searching That for which our soul is searching is not found in a tower that reaches heaven. But in a manger into which God came down. And on a cross upon which our Savior was crucified. And that's the the great irony of our human existence. We spend our lives trying to make a name for ourselves. And the answer is found 
in a cattle stall and on a cross. What satisfies is something we can never earn, we can never achieve, that we can never build. It can only ever be received by faith. And this morning we have that truth in front of us that God offers himself to us. God offers us the body and blood of Christ, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed by, by and for tower builders. For glory seekers like you and me. And we're invited today not on account of anything that we have done or ever could do, but simply because God came down. And he did everything necessary for sinners like you and like me to reach heaven. And he offers us those gifts today if we will only receive them by faith. Let's pray. God, we confess that just like those tower builders in Babel, we are glory seekers. By our very nature, we, we want to establish ourselves apart from you. We want to work for our own glory. We confess that we are lost, scattered, confused by sin. And so we thank you that you sent your son to die for lost, scattered, and confused glory seekers. We thank you that you didn't wait for us to reach heaven on our own, to build a tall enough tower but that you came down in the manger and then to the cross. So Lord, we confess that your mercy and your grace to us is truly our only hope. So do your good work, your tower-destroying, humbling work in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.